Hi there, I'm James Dafferty, and this is Coffee and a Case Note. Today we are talking about a company, and that company sells car parts that are both wholesale and retail. Their company has three directors. One director is a 70% shareholder, another director is a 20% shareholder, and the third director is a 10% shareholder. And what we're dealing with today is we're dealing with an application brought by this 70% shareholder, who's also a director, to appoint a provisional liquidator a provlic, if you're using uh, cool terminology. Uh, and what this shareholder says is that the affairs of this company are being run in such a way that it is appropriate that a provisional liquidator be appointed. Now, can I just give you a bit more background to get you oriented? 70% uh, shareholder is in the process of separating or the court finds may well indeed be divorced from 20% shareholder. So they've got their family law issues going on and 10% shareholder is a sibling of 20% shareholder. So a former sibling in law of 70% shareholder, if that makes sense. Now, there are a couple of things that cascade in the chronology. We've got 20% shareholder, the former spouse of 70% shareholder, who kicks off family law proceedings. Shortly afterwards, 70% shareholder, our plaintiff for today, kicks off these proceedings for a provisional liquidator, we'll get into that in a sec, and 10% shareholder, has kicked off their own <coughs> corporate oppression litigation, seeking orders pursuant to section 233 of the Corporations Act. Now, importantly for today, the court is looking at this application made by 70% shareholder, who is today's plaintiff. What's interesting about this company um, is not merely that it sells car parts, but it's the way that it goes about it. And a number of the parties have complaints about the way other parties are going about things. Now, what happens is that uh, the plaintiff has complaints about a resolution passed or purportedly passed by 20% and 10% shareholder to increase their salaries. And what plaintiff says is uh, arguably they didn't have the power to pass these resolutions. And in any case, there are cash components of these salaries that are not accounted for and just generally being dissatisfied with the way these salaries are being handled. On the other hand, we've got the uh, more minority shareholders complaining about plaintiff's conduct. And what they say is that plaintiff is causing some of the company stock to be sold on eBay and instead of directing those funds to be paid into a company bank account, is directing those funds to be paid into a bank account controlled solely by 70% shareholder and not into the hands of the company. What the minority shareholders further say is that a plaintiff is making payments from this bank account purportedly on behalf of the company. And so essentially we've got the company kind of being run from plaintiff's bank account over here in a way that the minority shareholders have no oversight over. In addition to this, we've got the company only having about $1,000 in its bank account, notwithstanding uh, plaintiff having a significant amount of funds held for the company uh, in his or in their bank account, I should say. Um, and we also have a position where the company's really, really behind on its rent and is in a pretty serious dispute with its landlord such that the continued tenancy of the company's business premises is at risk. So the court's looking at this breakdown in relationships. We've got the police called a few times. 
based on disputes between these directors and shareholders. We've got them going through these family law proceedings. We've got a, you know, a deadlock, essentially. The company can't march on. These relationships have broken down. We've got this precarious tenancy where we don't really know um, whether the company is going to be able to stay in its premises. We've got fuzziness, a lack of clarity as to whether the company has a lot of money or not. Plaintiffs saying it continues to trade. Um, the minority shareholders are saying Look, there's only $1,000 in the bank account and we've got no visibility over what you say is the company's money in your accounts. And the court works through all these things and finds that indeed, uh, for those reasons, it would be <coughs> pardon me, appropriate for a provisional liquidator to be appointed and makes those orders. In making those orders, the court notes in fact that neither defendant opposes the winding up of the company and it's, uh, those orders are made notwithstanding the fact that it's pretty solemn to have a board of directors moved out of the way and an independent person airdropped in to come and take control. Now, notwithstanding the solemnity of that move, um, the move is indeed made by the court and the provisional liquidator is appointed. There's a bit of an argument um, between competing liquidators identified by different sides and uh, in essence the court leans in favour of the liquidator whose rates are marginally lower and who despite there being an argument about whether um, a competence in speaking Mandarin is relevant notwithstanding the fact that um, each of the parties attended a mediation where English was the language primarily used. There's a little argument about that and um, after that argument the court resolves to appoint a specific liquidator. Those orders were made, uh, the deadlock is, I say broken, that's not quite right, the deadlock is dealt with by the appointment of this independent person. I hope that discussion assisted you and I look forward to speaking again soon over another coffee and in respect of another case note. Cheers.